Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host of this show and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has been made possible by a generous grant that we received so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in the pages of Christian Living Magazine. Joining me once again in the studio today is my co-host and our feature one of our feature writers, Steve Bertel. Hey, Steve. Hey. How are you? Good, good. The sun is shining and... I'm happy. My standard line. And I yeah. realize it's only September, but it's like the sun is shining and it's not snowing yet. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I love the snow until I have to drive in it. And yeah. I've never accomplished that very well. So, folks, if you see me on snowy roads, you Look might want to go the other way. <laughs> um, also joining us today is Angela Weeks, who has shared her powerful testimony with our readers and is the cover story for our current issue of Christian Living Magazine. You are also the founder of the Nampa Family Justice Center. I am. Many, many years ago, 20 years ago. It's crazy to say that, but that's when I started doing the work related to the Nampa Family Justice Center. You must have been five. Yeah, I was. (laughs) (laughs) We'll tell everybody that. Uh, Thank you so much for joining Steve and I today. How are you? That's the toughest question I'm going to ask you today is, how are you? You know what? I'm blessed. I am a blessed individual. Um, I am happy to be here today. I love driving in in the beautiful weather and happy to be doing the show with you guys this morning you know i have to tell you um somebody asked me the other day uh, they said um because they'd seen that my that my stevie did your cover photo Uh and what is she like and i said you know i come from a police family um and i've seen i've seen a lot i haven't seen as much as officers have but i said there is not a hint of the retired officer cynicism in her. She is every bit as sunny and pleasant and fun as that pic- as the pictures make her look. And so, you know, that just is a great tribute to the work God has done in your life. Ab- absolutely. I mean, I just, um, I, there are so many people in this career who can get, and I've done this work for a really long time and seen the worst of the worst that humans can do to each other. And um, I've been so blessed with a family that's not in law enforcement, with my church family, with with my friends, my relationships, and just have been on a path to do the work I'm doing, but also just to continue to be who God created me to be. So, yeah. and, and you are fun. I, I, you know, I was like, that's the fun part of my job is I get to meet all these fun people and then they get to be my friends. And it's yeah. just like, I know them. I really know them. <laughs> and then I pinch myself. It's like, I really get to know them. Mm-hmm. So, but you've known Steve. Um, we're going we're gonna to bring Steve sure. back into this here a little bit. You've known Steve from his television days. Yeah. yeah. From, from working at Channel 6. Yeah. When I reluctantly yeah. did interviews with him because <laughs> I didn't, you know, media was a hard thing for me in law enforcement. But I did, I want to say yeah. I did two or three interviews. I think so. Yeah. Some cold case stories. Um, yeah, that we cold did. case stories where we were like I was on the screen, <laughs> and he's good. He makes his the people he's interviewing feel so comfortable, and that translates well into the magazine article. I I always give thank you. I talk about being blessed. Christian Lowing is blessed. We have Steve and, and our editor Gay, who both do feature interviews and articles, and you both have this unique gift of making people so comfortable. And they're able to yeah. just relax and share their story yeah, with you. So yeah. kudos it's, to both of you. Thank you. It's well, it's 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 a God given talent. So. <laughs> 
and, and you're good at yeah. it. So I'm going to go ahead and I think you've got the first question. Sure. We okay. have to have a plan because Steve and I are both talkers and we'll talk over <laughs> the other each other. So we we actually do have kind of a plan here there, today. There you go. So so Angela, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your home life was like because it was a Bible-based life. So um, it's so funny to say I'm a na- native Idahoan because it doesn't feel like you hear that hardly anymore, but I grew up in Emmett, Idaho, not very far. I've lived in the Treasure Valley kind of area my entire life, and now as an adult, I have such an appreciation for that. You know, when I was younger, I thought, maybe I need to move or go. No, I'm so grateful that I grew up here. I was raised um, primarily by a single mom. My um, dad was actually killed on a motorcycle when I was 11 years old, and my parents were, um, my mom had grown up in with a background of Seventh-day Adventist with her mom. My dad had grown up with an LDS background. We didn't, and in our home, we didn't really have a Christian upbringing, if you will. I always knew the Lord, and I've struggled with my relationship with the Lord, and He knows. I mean, we have honest conversations all the time, and praise God that He will listen to me on those. Um, but, you know, my parents went through a divorce when I was pretty young, and um, just grew up with some some of my own childhood trauma, but always knew that God was in it. And I remember even when my dad was killed, I remember being really, really angry at God. But I and I told him I didn't believe in him and I kept talking to him and I don't believe in you and you're not real. But I kept I knew. I like I knew he was real. Why was I still talking to him? Why and he just was carrying me through all of that. Um my mom raised my sister and I. Um my sister and I are actually only eleven months apart, having kids of my own. Oh my goodness, what were my parents thinking? <laughs> Um, but um, I grew up over there. You know, I had my middle school and high school. Had I actually had a lot of friends and family uh, who were very supportive, very encouraging. Um, had a lot of um, Christian friends, which mm-hmm. was, I think, very good for me. Involved in a lot of activities, which was also super good for me. Yeah. Um, I did everything from being involved in science club to being in cheerleading. So I was <laughs> all over the board. I was... I, I know it's hard to believe, but I've always been a really social person. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you got into law enforcement sort of by accident. Tell us that story. Yeah, I had, that was, I didn't even know you could major in criminal justice. Being a law enforcement officer was never on my radar. I don't come from a law enforcement background. I've had some maybe family members who've been involved in the other side of the law enforcement background, but um, not a lot. But you know, we all have, you know, stories and I was in college and I was living in the dorms and one of my friends was like, oh, you should take this intro to criminal justice class. It's the easiest A you're going to get in college. And I'm like, I could use an easy A. <laughs> that literally was my motivation for taking the class. And I, one of the requirements for this intro to criminal justice class is you had to do a ride along with an, a police officer, which was never, I'd never even heard of something like that. I went and did a ride along with a Boise police officer, and we, I remember two calls pretty much all night long. One was a domestic violence call, ironically, and the woman was fighting with the officer, please don't take my husband to jail, Uh, I don't want to press charges, and I kept thinking, this is the most bizarre thing, and why, you know, he's here to help her, and why is she so mad at him? Now I completely understand a different side of that. The next call was a man with a gun call. And we ran uh, code across town. And I couldn't get out of the car because I'm just a civilian. But I was in the front seat. And they put the suspect, when they got him in custody, they put him in the back of the car I was in. 
and he was cussing and kicking my seats and screaming and yelling at me. And my adrenaline went through the roof. I'm like, they get paid to do this stuff? (laughs) Which you're going to have one reaction or the other. You're going to be like, let me out of this patrol car. I don't want to do this anymore. And I was hooked. I just wanted to learn as much as I could about that career. I, I, and and from that moment on, (laughs) that's what I wanted to do. So eventually then you you applied, you got your degree, yep. and you applied at the Nampa Police Department. Yeah, so actually, I did my senior internship at the Nampa Police oh, Department. Okay. Um, I um, ha- had this dream of being a, coming a, a DEA officer, a Drug Enforcement Administration mm-hmm. officer. I was going to work undercover narcotics, and I wanted my internship to work undercover narcotics. And I got hired to... Um, as an intern with their child abuse unit and their narcotics unit. Tim Randall was my supervisor in our child abuse unit, and um, our former chief of police, Alan Creech, um, was actually my sergeant in the narcotics unit at the time. And when I graduated college, they thought I looked young enough to go back to high school, which, you know, that was a great compliment. And so I hadn't been through a police academy, didn't have any training, and they hired me to work undercover at Caldwell High School. So I went from college with my degree to being a senior in high school work you know making now fun of the cheerleaders because you know i was a cheerleader in high school and uh, you know on our you know national honor society and stuff and now i'm you know buying drugs and <laughs> it was an interesting experience that was my first law enforcement experience and then i got hired by nampa about a year later okay that kind of reminds me of that what was that tv series 21, 21 jump, jump street, street. Yep. yes yep Oh, I was thinking Grease and Pinky Tuscadero and all Yeah, it was a totally ju- 21 Jump Street. And actually, when I try and help people understand what I did, I said, for those of you who know what 21 Jump Street is, you know, without all of the drama around yeah, it. But yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind of what I did. <laughs> so how successful were you in that undercover role to make So we, we set a goal. We just said that I was only going to be in there two months. And if there was nothing to be found, great and wonderful. And if there was something to be found, we would do something with it. I ended up arresting 16 uh, students. And we turned in names of about 30 other ones who had tried to sell me something or tried to set up deals or different things like that. Uh, and then the program was over. We Even if we were buying, we were like, we're not going to it's we just want to give them information probably the best thing i think we did is after it was all over i went back in and did a presentation for their teachers and for their faculty because i just wanted them to be aware of what was going on i mean i was making these deals in classrooms and in the hallways and with teachers not very far and they just needed to be aware of that yeah and so i was really glad we had the opportunity to do that so that work eventually led to your work in child abuse investigations. Yeah, so I was hired in 94 um, by the Nampa Police Department. So I went from patrol to becoming a school resource officer to working uh, to becoming a child abuse, the child abuse investigator at the time for the department. And there were two cases in particular that, that really Touched your heart. Yeah. Tell us about those. So my first, well, it's kind of actually a series of three. They all happened within a five-month period. My first homicide was a four-month-old little girl who had been suffocated by her father. Um, He held her in a stack of pillows till she quit breathing. And when I talked to the family and people that knew them, there was this undocumented history of domestic violence. And that case, it was my first homicide, my first autopsy, um, pretty difficult case and was within five months i was out with an 11 month old girl um, natasha who she had 
her babysitter had actually shaken her violently on two separate occasions. And she, her parents picked a babysitter that was living next door from the same cultural background, you know, just, oh, this will be nice. We can just go next door. She's got kids of her own. But they didn't know her history of domestic violence either and of her own child abuse. And she violently shook Natasha on two separate occasions and left her legally blind. She, you know, brain surgeries and just different things that happened for her. She's actually still alive and she's got amazing parents, Chrissy and Adam. And, you know, I've heard from them off and on over the years and within two weeks of her case i was out on another homicide of a three-year-old little girl ellen marie and her abuser ironically her her the first time i met her was on a backboard about three blocks from the family justice center Mm. and her abuser had a history of domestic violence no contact order violations he was actually violating a no contact order when he when he murdered her and i remember following the ambulance to the hospital and i got there and she was in the pediatric intensive care unit in a backed back room with natasha oh my goodness and these girls and and i'll be honest i didn't understand the dynamics of domestic violence i mean i had had my basic training i'd never really done anything past that and you get trained on so many things in the police academy i i didn't understand domestic violence it wasn't i didn't have empathy necessarily towards the victims i kept thinking why don't they leave why do they keep going back to these situations which i think unfortunately a lot of people do when they don't understand what's going on in these homes but those cases because they all had Domestic violence touched all of these cases. And I thought, I will no longer lay my head on my pillow at night and not know that I have not done everything I possibly can to change future outcomes for people I come in contact with in our community. And then um, in in relation to that, so then what what was your motivation, I guess, if that's the right word, to help launch the the family justice center so i started doing a lot of my own going to trainings learning about domestic violence i actually then started becoming an instructor at the police academy now teaching officers what i thought we should know about domestic violence about power and control and the police academy they they i remember doug graves um was uh the working over there at the time and he said hey do you want to go to San Diego? Go down to the uh, International Domestic Violence Stalking and uh, Sexual Assault Conference. And I'm like, I've never been to San Diego. If you guys are paying for it, I'm going. Little the fa- did you know how much that was going to oh, change your life. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. The Family Justice Center in San Diego had actually opened the October before I went down. I went down in April and we went on a tour. And I I mean, I, I can't even describe what was happening to me, how moved I was, and just all the things that were going on in my head. But I remember, and people who travel with me are like, oh, I'm glad I'm not in a room with her when she does these things. <laughs> but because I, I remember going to sleep, sound asleep, and I tell people God woke me up in the middle of the night. And I literally, I mean, I could not keep up. I couldn't even read some of my own writing. I was writing so fast. Eight pages of you know, what I later referred to as a strategic plan, but it was like, these are the things I need to do. Here are the people I need to contact. Who's, here's who we need to have on site. Here's what this is going to look like. Uh, I didn't have a building or anything, but man, I had a plan. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I came back and I decided to just start sharing it with people. I had some trusted colleagues and I sat down and said, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do, and I, um, you know, do you think I'm crazy? And they were supportive, and they're like, 
we're with you. Mm-hmm. So we move forward. So for people who may not be familiar with the, the Family Justice Center, tell us a little bit about the services that it provides, because it's basically one-stop shopping for, for crime victims. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are six populations overall that we serve, domestic violence, child abuse, sexual assault, elder abuse, human trafficking, and stalking. And what we have is we have this amazing collaboration of professionals who've come together under one roof to provide the most comprehensive services to people who are in traumatic states in their life. Before we had this model, we were putting people, asking people to go all over our community, go here and file a police report. You should get a protection order. You need to go here, go over here and um, tell the hospital what happened to you and get a, get a medical exam. I mean, we, and then take multiple days off work, come back for this, go over here. You need counseling. And I look back at it and go, how did anybody ever? ever go through any part of the process because it was really about us it was not about the people that we were serving and even in our building it's about the people we're serving because even though we have a multitude of agencies in our building we don't ask them to come to our individual offices you come in our doors and it's about you it's about taking you to a comfortable warm welcoming room and they are mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that provides safety and security but in a in a friendly environment if you Mm -hmm. will and and then it's about listening to what our clients needs are who did they come in to see that day and then making sure that they're coordinated with those individuals and then it's about letting them know what else we can do for them what else we can help with and then giving them choice and some of that autonomy back in in their lives about what we can offer them it's amazing uh, in the 20 years um, two of my foundation board members are actually former clients of ours to see people who have come through our doors in times of tragedy and to see they're thriving now, it's, it's such a blessing. Now, it's not just for domestic violence victims, correct? Right, yeah. Domestic violence, child abuse, mm-hmm. sexual assault, human trafficking, elder abuse. And we didn't always have all of those in the beginning. We originally just kind of started with sexual assault, child abuse, and domestic violence. But so many of these crimes kind of co-occur with each other. And we try really hard to be respectful of our clients' needs. We have, um, Boise State has done evaluations of our program since the beginning. We don't want it to just say, oh, we we know we do good work. We want to, you know, are we doing the things we set out to do? And when there are gaps, when we listen to our clients talk about what their needs are, we want to find ways to close those gaps. Because um, when we close those gaps, we help people be safer and we help move them on to self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And even though it's called the NAMPA Family Justice Center, it doesn't serve just crime victims in Nampa. Absolutely. You can come, anybody can walk through our doors. We will not turn anyone away. There are a few of our partners, like the Nampa Police Department, our entire Persons Crimes Division is on site at the Family Justice Center, and they might be restricted by jurisdiction. But if somebody comes from a different jurisdiction, like maybe somebody from Washington comes to Idaho, the Nampa Police Department will still come in and take a courtesy report for them and get it to the appropriate jurisdiction, but we will still provide them clothing and, you know, if they need diapers if they need counseling if they need to file for protection order we don't turn anybody away yeah so let me ask this i'm sorry no go ahead Uh, so where does all that stuff come from where does the clothing and the diapers and all of that come from you have partners that help with that or is that donated from members in the community 
A yes and yes. So um, we apply for a ton of grants. The The city of Nampa actually houses our building and um, helps with um, our sustainability of our program. And they have since the beginning. They've been fantastic. But we do a lot of grant writing. And then when I retired, I actually took over our foundation. So I do a lot of work with that as well, just figuring out who we can partner with to close those gaps. So you'll see, you know, some of our Facebook posts come out saying, oh, we're out of size six diapers or we're out of formula or we're out of brushes and shampoo, you know, or we need um, water bottles or snacks. So we just, we try to keep stuff out there on our social media to keep people aware of what our needs are or what our events are that are coming up or just different trainings that we offer the community and different ways they can partner with us. So, and we're always, uh, we have a a volunteer program. So we have volunteers who come in and offer some support and look for resources as well for us. So tell me where the Justice Center is located. And then is there ever any concern about the, um, the, the victims who come under the, the, the auspices of the, of the Justice Center uh, ever being, let's say, stalked by their offenders? So the Family Justice Center is actually located in downtown Nampa. Um, ironically, when I first became a detective, it's in a building that was remodeled to house the Nampa Police Department initially when we were remodeling. So I've been in this building before and had office an office there. Um, and, and to your question related to our concern for our victims, absolutely. Um, but whether it's in that building or whether it's not in the building, there's always that concern for our victims. So building in that avenue of safety and everything that we do, um, we have camera systems up around the building where we are able to monitor and look outside. There are times that we have to put up posters with people's faces on them for everybody to be aware of. Um, we, the, you know, there are safety measures that we go through that the, I would say the majority of businesses don't necessarily have to think about, but we're aware of that already because of our clients. That's that's amazing. So we're we're coming down on our time here. So let's let me just ask this for anyone who wants to find out more about the Family Justice Center. Where can they go? Absolutely. So you can, Nampa Family Justice Center has it, uh, is on the city of Nampa's webpage. They can also just call 208 475 5700 and talk to one of our staff. If they're just wondering if they qualify for services there, if they, you know, you can schedule an appointment if you want. You can just walk through our doors. Um, they can just come in at 1305 Third Street South and, and we will have somebody at intake that can take care of them. Again, we try and give lots of different ways. Follow us on our Facebook if you're looking for more information. If you have questions, you can even send messages through Facebook Messenger or through our Instagram page. And your and your Facebook page is Nampa Family Justice Center? Yes. Okay, just making sure. All right. And let's if, if you're in a crisis situation, what is that number again? 208-475-5700. And actually, um, that's not necessarily crisis. I will always say call 911 first. Um, and then um, that number is the access to the Justice Center. Awesome. Thank you. And, and it's not awesome that they need it, but it's awesome that you guys provide that service. Um, we're going to carry this over. Yeah, exactly. So come back next week, folks. We're going to do part two. Thank you both so much for joining me today. And I'm so glad that you're willing to come back next week so that we can do part two because your story is just amazing. And we're going to talk about some more personal things next week. Folks, you can read Angela's powerful story in our current issue of Christian Living Magazine, available in over 600 locations throughout all of southern Idaho, or read it online at christianlivingmag.com. 
I know I've said it a lot lately, but here I am saying it again. Christian Living Spotlight is now a podcast and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, and TuneIn, just to name a few. Be sure to subscribe today and never miss an episode again. This does bring our time to an end next week. We hope you come back next week and hear part two of Angela Wick's impressive story. Until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout Central and all of Southern Idaho. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.